You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hey everybody, welcome to a very special episode of Reporting is Eligible, kind of our, our kickoff show. Um, we'll have the normal pod starting up really, really soon, I think probably next week with Matt and JR and some Tyler mixed in there. Um, but uh, to kind of kick things off here, I wanted to preview the rest of the NFC North, and to do so I wanted to get some number-savvy people to tell us a little bit about their teams. Uh, this podcast is you know very data-friendly, very, uh, very objective analysis-friendly, and so um, I wanted to try and get some people who uh, kind of work along the same line. So um, to uh, this is a three-parter, uh, one each for the Vikings, uh, Lions, and Bears in that order, uh, to help us preview the Vikings. First, we'll have uh, Arif Hassan, who is the athletic reporter for the Vikings, very smart guy, um, uh, the inventor of the Case Cookus meme if you're on Twitter, <laughs> um, and uh, just a, a very, very uh, analytics-savvy, number-savvy guy. Um, for the Lions up second, we have Kentley Platt, who we talk about all the time on this podcast, the creator of Relative Athletic Score, uh, formerly of Pride of Detroit, um, and uh, you know one of the more knowledgeable metrics people you'll ever meet, created his own that almost everybody uses. Uh, and then for the Bears, we have Lauren Cox, who does the Locked on Bears podcast, uh, but also still moonlights for PFF doing grading and uh, wrote there for quite a while as well. Uh, so we've got a good stable of people. If you want a sort of insightful look at the teams the Packers will be in contention with this year, um, stick around uh, and let's kick that off now with uh, Arif Hassan. Joining me now is Arif Hassan, uh, a writer for The Athletic, um, who covers the Minnesota Vikings and does a phenomenal job on it. One of the reasons I actually have an Athletic su subscription to this day. Um, so uh, thank you uh, again for, for joining us here. Um, I, I actually, I, I lived in St. Paul for about two years. My wife is from Bloomington, and so I've, I've been exposed to a lot of Vikings media in my day. Oh, wow. Uh, and I, I actually, wow. I follow them closer than probably a lot of Packer people do. Uh, and, and I do kind of think, they're sort of taken for granted by by the Packers folks as as a rival because I mean let's face it the Vikings are uh, are the other like competently run like well run often very competitive team in the NFC North uh, you know the other two are they're fun to have around but the Vikings are legitimately good and it's not like the Packers have dominated them recently or ever uh, that the the Vikings and Packers split last year but the Packers won the Sean Mannion game it's not like the Vikings were fully equipped for that game and <laughs> generally speaking I feel like we tend to split so um, just to start this off, uh, how do you how are you feeling about the team this year, uh, and do you see them sort of improving on their somewhat disappointing mark from last year? 
Yeah, I mean, to, to your original point, I mean, the, the whole joke about the Vikings doesn't work if they're not, you know, at least a little bit good so they can, you know, pull out the rope from underneath you, right? Like, exactly. that's how the whole setup works. Um, yeah, no, I, I think that the Vikings do have a pretty good shot. Um, I, I think when most people ask me, I, I tend to tell them to, you know, hit the over, which is around nine and a half, I think, or something like that. And I, I think that they're a 10 or 11 win team. Um, the, the thing is, it's difficult to be confident about a team like this, in particular because there's been a lot of personnel turnover. And of course, you know, you've got a new head coach and everything like that. Everyone's very optimistic about a new head coach. But in all honesty, you re- never really know, especially, yeah. you know, when you've got a scant background behind it. Um, I expect the offense to improve. Um, I expect that the most frustrating parts of the defense from last year, which is, you know, the performance in two and four minute situations, I expect that to improve. Yeah, but I expect too. the defense overall um, probably will actually get a little bit worse just because I think Vikings fans underrate the impact that Mike Zimmer has on defensive design. Yeah. Uh, and so how those all balance out, very really difficult to tell, but I would imagine that the net impact is probably marginally positive. I think that's about right. I, I also think the two biggest or the, the biggest thing going for both of our teams is the schedule is pretty atrocious um, with the, the NFC East coming in for the out of conference games. Uh, mm. It's a good year to to get 10 or 11 wins, I would say. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so um, you guys are getting Kevin O'Connell uh, as new head coach who comes from. Um, I, w- I would say I, I've read a lot about him being sort of a, a Shanahan McVeigh guy. McVeigh makes a lot of sense from that Jay Gruden tree. But I, I, I guess I'm not sure how true that is. Um, I certainly did an impressive job last year that that we can be sure of, uh, I think, more than anything. Um, but uh, what do you think he's going to bring to the table in terms of innovation? Do you think this is a big departure from the, the Kubiak family? <laughs> uh, or, or, is, or is this kind of going to be just uh, sort of uh, variations on a theme more than anything? Um, like the 10,000 foot view perspective, you know, no, I mean, it's a play action team that runs, you know, outside zone style concepts that, you know, kind of relies on athletic offensive linemen relies on, you know, play action, deep shots, wants a quarterback can get to the reads in a very mechanistic way. Um, you know, that, that's all, you know, that goes back, right. That goes, um, back through a McVay, through Shanahan, through Kubiak, through Shanahan again. Um, so, you know, that's that's all there. But in terms of the what it'll look like, especially to fans, um, it will look a lot more like a McVay offense and it'll look like a Kubiak offense because you're probably going to see more receivers on the field. You're probably going to see um, a higher passing volume. You're probably going to see, you know, more interesting decision making in the final minutes. Probably I would imagine better clock management again. New coach can't know. Um, but, you know, these kind of decisions that that, you know, kind of gear you towards something a little bit more, I guess the word would be modern. I kind of don't like that because the yeah. NFL is cyclical, but, you know, a little bit more kind of geared towards, you know, what, what the, what eggheads like you and me kind of want to see from teams in terms of the way that the decision-making works. So we're going to see a lot of that. We're going to see, I think some of the stuff that, that people have been pushing for, uh, for a long time, including kind of an emphasis on the passing game a little bit more. So uh, in that sense, I think it's going to be a little bit more McVeigh, but, you know, the thing about a lot of these offenses, you know, Shanahan and McVay both, is that uh, a lot of times quarterbacks are kind of just like joysticks and McVay is, is the actual controller, right? You know, is the player. Yeah. Um, you know, that didn't happen with Stafford, much to the benefit of, of the Rams offense. But, you know, I don't know if you're going to get that out of Kirk Cousins. But I think that in terms of, you know, what what offenses that are successful look like right now, it's, it's probably going to look like that from a personnel and formation perspective. Yeah, uh, it, it's, of course, hard to predict. One thing I kind of always go back to just thinking about this, aside from uh, I do think I think Kirk is sort of in the Stafford tier of quarterbacks, which is, you know, quite good. And you can definitely win with yeah, it. Um, sure. And uh, like if you gave especially Kyle Shanahan, Kirk Cousins, I think the 49ers would become 
instantly like outstanding <laughs> uh <laughs> yeah. great so, kyle shanahan certainly believes that yes that's 100 100 there that is correct uh do, do you think you might see a little more Jefferson in the slot uh, this year, sort of trying to ape on what Cooper Cup did last year um, a little bit more, especially because you do get some outside guys back. Um, well, yeah, I guess KJ right. is not back, but all the BC is back. Right. Yeah, I, I think that the, there is an opportunity for that. Um, I don't know how much we're going to see it. You know, we have seen uh, at least through practices, OTAs, we've asked a couple of these kinds of questions. And it really sounds like there's going to be a mix between outside and inside. I think we're going to see more slot, um, you know, routes from Jefferson. Part of that is because the Vikings last year didn't have many slot routes, period. They're a two receiver offense. So you're just not going to have the slot. So uh, the the thing, the unique thing about the Vikings offense is that the two top receivers are both excellent in the slot, like really great slot receivers. Um, And obviously, you know, Jefferson's a lead on the outside as well. And Adam Thielen is quite good on the outside as well. So um, you've got all that going for KJ Osborne, I think is probably better in the slot than the the outside, but he's also a slot receiver. So those are your top three receivers. You're probably going to mix and match and get um, a lot of differences in the slot. I think one thing that enabled Cooper Cup inside that offense, rather enabled the offense through Cooper Cup, is how um, excellent of a blocker he was. And if you're looking for that, you're probably looking for either KJ Osborne or Adam Thielen. Not that Justin Jefferson's a bad blocker, but if you're picking kind of the best blocker out of that group to take on a linebacker um, as like the point on like an outside zone, um, then you're probably picking one of those two instead. So um, plus, I just if I'm I, I don't want to run Justin Jefferson into anybody. I just yeah. as a personnel thing. So. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I think we're going to see more of that, but I think that's just more product of a slot position emerging a little bit more consistently uh, than it is a skill set thing, even though we know, of course, that Jefferson got drafted in the first place because of how well he performed right. in the slot at LSU. Indeed. Um, yeah, on, on, I asked because also on our end, I do see um, Alan Lazard having quite a bit more slot snaps this year for the Packers than previous, just because he is such a good blocker um, and uh, mm-hmm. he, they can do a lot of cup concepts with him there. Right. Um, yeah. He had 84% of his targets last year from the slot. So he played outside a ton, just didn't, right. didn't get targeted yeah. when he was outside, only when he was inside. Um, all right. So uh, move, moving to the defensive side a little bit. Um, one mm-hmm. of the things that I like to track Packer specific is the amount of nepotism that runs through the team. Uh, the Vikings, I find fun on this too. Um, so um, uh, Joe Barry is our defensive coordinator. Um, just when he joined the team, he obviously got his first job by being Rod Marinelli's son-in-law. That's how he got the Detroit job. Then he moved to the Jay Gruden Redskins, which we're very familiar with here as well. Um, and then um, from you know that getting that through John Gruden's brother uh, onto the Rams, where he worked for Wade Phillips. Um, uh, one of the, uh, I, I, it was just funny to see Wes Phillips on uh, taking over for the Kubiaks right. when the Kubiaks yeah. and the Phillips sort of are a dynasty. But anyway, you guys have. You have some Packer people on the defense, uh, kind of a lot of them. So, yeah. Um, first of all, I I think Mike Zimmer is one of the best defensive coordinators ever. You guys are replacing him with Ed Donatel. Mike Pettin is an assistant on that team. Um, how much does the coaching change actually frighten you in terms of um, taking a step back on defense? Is is Zimmer a huge deal here, or just with the system kind of in place? Are they going to be okay for at least a year or two? Uh, no, I think it's a pretty big deal. I, I think that the way a lot of Vikings media and a lot of Vikings fans have handled this is to not appropriately understand the impact that Mike Zimmer has defensively. Right. And I think a lot of that just has to do with the other performance of the defense, right? Like if you take a look at what like EPA and I think both DVOA, um, the defense looks kind of fine, especially if you don't separate out the halves of the season where Daniel Hunter and Anthony Barr are healthy versus Uh, not healthy. (laughs) A a huge deal in and of itself. Yeah. Um, If you, if you, it looks fine. It's like 12, I think in EPA or something like that. That's not bad. 
um, like points allowed is brutal, right? And a lot of that has to do with like two minute situations, things like that. Um, I I think the defense will regress just because Mike Zimmer, uh, maybe regress is the wrong statistical term, but I think you get what I'm getting at. Um, just because Mike Zimmer is is such an important element of that defensive design. Now, adding someone like former Packers, Darius Smith, you know, to the edge rushing unit alongside Daniel Hunter getting back, um, you know, having more consistent health at linebacker with Jordan Hicks instead of Anthony Barr, you know, getting a couple of additional quarterbacks in the building, like all of those personnel changes, I generally see as a positive. Um, there's a system change as well. There's, they're changing to kind of the, the Donatel defense, which is the Fangio defense and all that, you know, Mike Patton's familiar with three, four setups as well. So all of, all of that is going to play a pretty big role and look significantly different, but the concepts are not all that different, honestly, than the, than the Zimmer defense, right. You know, a lot of rotations in terms of, you know, what rush lanes are opening up, you know, trying to confuse quarterbacks and protections. I mean, you know, Mike Zimmer classics and then the back end, um, it's, it's pattern matching zone, which Mike Zimmer innovated. Um, to a, a good degree in, in the modern NFL. And so um, it's it's going to be mechanistically somewhat similar, very similar, but it's going to look a lot different. Um, and so I, I, I think that not having someone with Zimmer's particular gift for designing defenses, anticipating opponents, game planning, et cetera, is going to lead to uh, some problems. I do think that the personnel yeah. upgrades are going to be very real, though, and so that might counteract uh, some of that. Yeah, um, I think that that is that's kind of how I read it, too. And I get your point about them being sort of an overall um, worse defense. But things like the the two minute regression might counteract that a little bit uh, if they just get sort of the average luck in those high leverage situations. Yes. Um, they'll look a lot better, even if they're sort of an overall not as good defense in the aggregate. So that makes yeah, a the, lot of the sense. worst defense in NFL history in the final two minutes. <laughs> it was half, it by was, like a substantial margin. It was really something <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that, that obviously has to come down to earth. Um, yeah. I, how do you feel about the secondary overall? You've got a few young additions there. Um, I, I actually like the Vikings draft quite a bit. Um, the only draft I really didn't like in the North was the Bears. Um, I not not a fan of that one. Oh, I don't think anyone likes that Bears no, draft. Even the Bears shouldn't yeah. like that draft. But I, I think <laughs> I think the Vikings did pretty good on a reload, especially on the defensive side and especially in the secondary. Um, do you think that they might be a little improved on that front? And uh, Shannon Sullivan, somebody that we're all familiar with on the Packers side, he he was a, a good slot corner for a long time, but I think time may have passed him by a little bit. I did check the. Uh, the the most up to date um, position rankings I have. It looks like he is currently listed as the starter there. How long do you think that lasts? And do you think uh, one of the rookies or maybe Patrick Peterson taking a step back eventually ends up there? The the problem is the Vikings don't have slot corners. They just don't. Right. You know, in theory, you know, moving Patrick Peterson there that would make a lot of sense. Yeah. He has the kind of fluidity that you would expect out of a slot corner. Um, that's a somewhat common move for for talented. Uh, receivers of his age and, and you know i can imagine that but that's certainly not something that they're experimenting with uh there's not a it's like it's like him perry nickerson nate Hurston. it's just like not names that are lighting up uh anybody's eyes right it's it's not great and then a caleb evans and andrew booth are both outside corners um and i don't know that they have kind of the athleticism um to be which is not to say they're unathletic they're both remarkably athletic yes. players but the specific type of athleticism you expect from a slot corner and dealing with the kind of space requirements that come with that position i don't know that they have that and they and the vikings have not been experimenting with that 
Um, and so it's up to, you know, I don't think a Caleb Evans is going to push for a starting job. I don't think anyone else expects that of him. He's been doing well in camp, but it's really up to Andrew Booth to beat up Cameron Dancer for a starting spot. And if it was, you know, before camp, you asked me these questions, I'd fully expect that to happen. But right now, Cameron Dancer is playing extremely yeah. well in camp. Andrew Booth is kind of up and down. Nothing that, you know, worries me long term, but, you know, tells me maybe the first couple of weeks of the season, we're not going to see him, you know, be the starter. We could see a rotation of corners. I know that that's happened with the Vikings uh, historically when it's a young corner and a veteran that are kind of dueling out for for a starting position, but I would expect Cameron Dancer actually to win that starting job. Um, at safety, you know, they drafted Lewisine in the first round. Yep. Somebody I was a huge fan of coming I, out. I was hoping he would fall a bit further than he did. So I, I think right. he is yeah. a, a great get. Yeah. So it, it's um, and super fun to watch. Uh, I, I think all of the, the kind of production metrics that, you know, correlate reasonably well. I mean, nothing correlates very well, but correlate reasonably well from the draft to the col- uh, from college to the NFL. Um, really point in in Lewisine's favor, which, whether it's athletic production, you know, what have you. Um, I in camp so far, you know, he hasn't really stood out. Uh, again, nothing I'm very concerned with. It's it's meant to be a somewhat complex defense. He has to pick up new concepts. Um, I was told he might have been the smartest player in that Georgia defense. Um, and I certainly can believe it after talking to him. I know that, you know, he ran a big part of the way that that defense looked. He did a lot of very similar concepts to what the Vikings will eventually end up doing. Um, so I don't have a concern about that. But again, in terms of week one, I wouldn't be surprised to see Cameron Bynum out there. And he actually played very okay. well at safety. Um, last year. It's actually the reason I was surprised that the Vikings drafted a safety despite the problems in the secondary because Cameron Bynum outplayed uh, for a you know, period of time Xavier Woods, the veteran that they brought in because they were worried about how many safeties they had. So, um, But Bynum is, 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 is a starting quality player, and I think that he's done very well in camp, and I don't think that there's really a lot of opportunity. But the wrinkle here is that the Vikings are trying to put three receiver or three safety sets out on the field quite a bit, whether that is to replace the nickel corner, who we know is to be a weak spot. And Shannon Sullivan has been performing, unfortunately, quite poorly in yeah. camp. Um, it, I mean, again, think about the Viking slot receiver. So. <laughs> but, fair um, enough, fair enough. But, tough, but, tough assignment. Yeah, it's, it's difficult. Um, but, you know, replacing a, a nickel corner with a nickel safety, you know, that's an opportunity that the Vikings are exploring. They've got, you know, uh, with Mike Pettin back there, they're like, hey, wait, let's try out something crazy called Dime. What about that? <laughs> uh, so doing a little bit of that. The man loves they, his they even have two yeah exactly yeah he's excited uh but they even have two linebacker dime sets where they take off like a a defensive lineman right so um a lot of ways to try and get three safeties on the field um in order to take advantage of the kind of stuff that that Louis Louis does I think you're going to see kind of a lot of different looks coming from that defense and that's probably a good modern strategy as it is especially if you have the Packers in your division which likes to run a lot of 12 personnel if you can get a bit of a, a thumper from the safety spot who can also cover that's a good way to counteract it so that that makes a lot of sense, and uh, I envy the safety depth because that is one area where the Packers are sorely lacking. Um, there's Adrian Amos and then question marks. Um, <laughs> all right, so uh, before I let you go, so first, um, w- which Viking rookie are you most excited about on this team so far? I, I, you know, honestly, I wish I could say the first-round pick or the second-round pick or either of the third-round picks. <laughs> or I, I guess Ed Ingram is the second-round pick, but um, I, 
I, mm, I don't know. <laughs> like it's again, I have I've I'm I've long-term optimism about what Lucien and Andrew Booth can do, right? But I I don't see them doing anything soon. And if Ed Ingram starts, I think it's more just a product of of who he's competing against than it is any inherent performance that he's put together unless something changes based off of what I've seen in camp. And Brian Asamoah has been playing very poorly in camp, in my opinion. Again, linebackers, you can't really tell in training camp environment. But from what I've seen, I, I don't really like it. But a Caleb Evans, woof, he is fun to watch. He is uh, extremely charismatic, first of all, which makes me as a media member very happy to kind of cover this guy. He's yeah. uh, immediately attempted to endear himself to Vikings fans. He's dyed his hair purple. He's very active on social media. He mugs for the camera whenever Vikings.com is out there. <laughs> um, and he's playing well, you know, that, which, you know, I guess is the important part, right? <laughs> so really he's doing, is. yeah, so he's doing a really good job locking up all of these. And the Vikings second team receiver unit, He's really talented yep. for a second-team receiver unit. They've got starting quality players there. Not anybody, after what I've seen with Vikings receivers over the past number of years, not anybody I'd want to start. But, you know, when you compare it against other starters around the league, certainly, you know, quality players, and he's doing a very good job. So, okay. uh, for me, I'm going to say Caleb Evans. This is not me saying he's more talented than Andrew Booth or that, you know, or anything along those lines. But in terms of how exciting I think all of this is, yeah, Caleb Evans. Okay, I understood. And, I mean... I think that that is a pretty common training camp thing. I mean, the, the the Packers camp is being dominated by Romeo Dubs right now, who's a fourth yeah. I've got, I've got a, a dynasty trade offer. I drafted Romeo Dubs. I've got a dynasty trade offer for him. And like three days ago, I was ready, and now I I, I can't. All of these Packers reports coming out of camp about <laughs> Romeo Dubs. <laughs> uh, camp camp is the the time to dream on such things. So uh, right. yeah, exactly. I'll wait until I see Christian Watson get into. So all right. Um. So last thing before you go. Uh. Do, who do you think wins this division between the two of us, or the other two, if you want? But and how far do you think the Vikings can go this year, uh, playoff wise? If you asked me three weeks ago, I'd say there's a really good chance the Vikings win the division. But after you know, going over a little bit more in depth with the Packers actually do have on offense. I think that that receiver group is actually underrated after having lost, you know, the best receiver. And then also Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, it's not a bad receiver group. And I think a, a good enough receiver group is, is all Aaron Rodgers really needs. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, which I, I assume was that kind of the philosophy behind the whole thing. Um, so I'm going to say that the Packers win the division, um, but I do think that the Vikings do make the playoffs. I do think that, you know, 10 or 11 wins is good enough to do that, especially in the NFC and especially with seven teams making the playoffs. I don't see them making it far. Maybe they win one playoff game, but certainly they're not going to be the top seed or anything like that. So, um, maybe win one playoff game, kind of doubt it. Certainly not really pushing for an, a genuine Super Bowl ring. All right. Well, that, that's, I think that checks out with the consensus on the Vikings, but um, I, I, well, I think that's about right. I, I do hold out a little bit of hope for them. Just um, I, I think if they do have a little bit of an offensive transformation strategy wise, that you can do things with cousins and Jefferson and Thielen um, and maybe have a better offense than, than anybody expects. So that's my sort of yeah, yeah. Out hope for the Vikings to actually do a little bit more damage than expected. Yeah. For me, the projection basically is, Hey, they've been flirting with a top 10 offense for the past two years. Yeah. Uh, in many ways, I think that, you know, you can move them to basically eighth or seventh and in a really nice world, fifth, yeah. right, in terms of and, and that is, I think, kind of the the range of outcomes the Vikings are shooting for here. Indeed. All right. Well, my biggest worry has gone from the receiving core to uh, my quarterback doing a two and a half hour podcast on the hallucinogenic drugs that he prefers. So um, who knows? With a lot going on. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, who knows what Aaron's going to bring at any given year at this point. I'm so. excited. It's, it, yeah, <laughs> it's content a, on content. It's a fun place to cover. You got to give it that. Well, um, <laughs> Arif, thank you very much for joining us. Really appreciate it and uh, appreciate the insight. Vacations can be tricky. 
you already know how to book flights and hotels. But now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Come on, talk to me. You can see what's going on. Um, joining me now to uh, discuss the upcoming season for the Lions is uh, Kentley Platt, who everybody who listens to this podcast will know as the creator of Raz, of Relative Athletic Score, which we, we, we use multiple times per episode. Um, uh, formerly a uh, Pride of Detroit writer, our sister site, Acme Packing Company. And uh, actually, Ken, where, where are you now? Um, <laughs> so I mostly I don't I don't write anymore. Um, I do development work for Pro Football Network. I, I maintain their mock draft simulator. Okay, that's cool. I I saw the the bio on there, and I was kind of unclear if you actually were like a contributor contributor or a back end contributor. So I I do write occasionally. Yeah. You can't can't keep a writer away from writing too long. <laughs> no, you cannot. That is very very true. Um, so uh, first and foremost, just because. Um, we have been using relative athletic score here forever. Uh, the Packers really kind of lead you into it, even if you don't want to, just because they're, you know, amongst the teams, an early adopter of athletic thresholds generally. Um, it's, uh, it's such a great design and such an easy thing to use. Um, so first of all, like how long, how long, um, has like, did it take you to come up with Raz in the first place and how did you come up with the actual card in the design like now I think about all of my own data visualization as cards basically since seeing it so how, how did you settle on that in the first place yeah so I, I started Raz way back in 2013 everything was done in, in Excel and then a Google sheet and it, it looked like it was from Excel in a Google sheet you know <laughs> not not pretty at all um, everything that I built as far as the visual aspect of it has been functional I'm not a big fan of graph graphic design, even though that's literally the field that I work in. <laughs> um, but it's, it's, it's always about what, what is the function and how can I best use the real estate that I have? It was originally built as a more vertical card where it was top down all the information in a list. Um, Twitter started changing the way that they allowed visualization on their site though. And those didn't look very well. So I switched those up and I made it a more horizontal card to flip fit in the, whatever is it? Like three by six or whatever yep. aspect ratio is. Um, so that that fit and then it was just getting the real estate right and since then it's just it's just kind of stayed because it's a very functional um hope and make it all look real nice for the days to come <laughs> all right and um did you ever expect it to get quite as big or take off like it has um i mean i, I feel like we niche that people have always kind of had an eye on it but now i see it referenced amongst you know major publications and even dropped by teams occasionally 
No, I never expected it to get this big. You know, it's it's always been a fan-facing tool that was made to help visualize stuff for the fans to make it easier and more approachable for, for metrics because we don't really have something like that, and we still don't really have something like that. Um, but it, it, the fact that it's taken off, I think, is because a lot of those other places, they're facing the fans too. Um, ESPN did a whole article about it. Um, Mike Sando did a piece on um, – the New England Patriots taking Cole Strange in the first round. And it's just really interesting to see how people are starting to use it just to help explain what the metrics are. And that's always been the point. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things that I've really come to like about it lately is just um, how useful the actual explosion and agility um, and speed breakdowns are for various types of players. Um, I used to just sort of dismiss like lower as guys outright. And then just one day, I just happened to be looking through slot receivers, and, and you'll see guys like Hunter Renfro and Cooper Cup um, don't have necessarily great overall metrics, but when you get down to the explosion grade, um, they have super high metrics, and it makes it, uh, you know, it makes a lot of sense with how they actually play the game that that would be the most useful skill for them. So I, it's just a, a great way to see immediately what a guy excels at, doesn't excel at, and where he might fit role-wise. Um, and uh, I, I just love how it's all there on the screen for you immediately as soon as you see it. And it usually matches the tape. It does. That's the other thing, too. It's usually a good check on your biases on the tape. Uh, like, if you think a guy looks looks fast on tape, you can you can go see if your eyes are lying to you or not, and, uh, you know, vice versa as well. Um, I, the, the, the one Packer um, I don't really care for that they've drafted recently is Amari Rogers, who I thought looked slow on tape and uh, then got, got his scores, and yes, he did. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, uh, all right. So, uh, I, I have you on here to talk about the lions and, uh, first of all, do you follow them as closely as you used to in your pride of Detroit days? I still follow the, I still follow them closely. I still keep in touch with all my pride of Detroit guys. Um, it's, it's different now covering the draft more just because I, you have to have a bigger outlook, right? Yeah. You have to pay attention more to other teams, but they're, they're still my jam. All right, cool. Um, just didn't want to take you by surprise because, um, uh, like, uh, I follow all the teams in the North fairly closely. Um, they are kind of the one that I'm probably least up on amongst the, the, the three, although still kind of up on. But they're kind of fun. So the, uh, they're coming off, obviously, a bad record year. But I, I think the consensus is that they're doing a really good job rebuilding. Um, I, I hear kind of nothing but positive things about them. Um, and just going up and down their roster, I think they look pretty strong outside of uh, Jared Goff, who's, you know, not even a terrible quarterback. As far as a bottom right. three quarterback, you could do a lot worse. Um, they're over under this year's uh, around 6.5 or 7, kind of the same as the Bears. Uh, just for, first off, generally speaking, how do you feel about them? How do you think they'll be this year? Yeah, I'm hoping that they improve, and I have a good feeling that they will improve. Um, like you like you mentioned, a lot of people are really positive about him, and that has so much to do with Dan Campbell. Matt Patricia's entire roster-building philosophy was so negative. Everything about it was negative. It was all about kicking your players in the ass to get them moving, right? But he had that same attitude with the fans, with the media, um, it's a lot of a lot of goodwill that he had wiped out, and Dan Campbell has done such a great job of getting that goodwill back and making people excited about the team and you know optimistic for what they're trying to build. Um, it's not that he's just you know the goofy hokey guy <laughs> that you see talking about eating kneecaps and stuff, um, but he's a very intelligent guy and he's very well spoken and he communicates very well what this team wants to be, and you get to see it in the games yeah they only won three games last year but a lot of those games were extremely close yep. way closer than they should have been 
And considering the level of talent that this roster had last year, there's no reason they should have been in as many games as they were. Yeah, absolutely. I do feel like he's sort of the the opposite of Matt Patricia in some ways, like sort of the bizarro version where um, it was just so weird with Matt Patricia to see the the aggressive, overtly uh, aggressive nature, but then have all the veteran players who um, would speak openly to the media about how just they didn't care for how he did things. Whereas Dan Campbell seems to be getting the same, like what Matt Patricia wanted just by being a little more transparent and a little more, um, you know, positive in how he wants the team to be tough and aggressive. Um, it seems like a much better way to be. So um, a lot more ownership, a lot, lot more, more ownership. On yeah, the team. exactly. Veterans trust, uh, trust when you are transparent and own what's going to happen. They, they don't trust when you're just being yelled at by a guy who they don't necessarily think has their interest in mind. So um, anyway, I like where they're going there. I think that's, that's all good. Um, so next one is um, Jared Goff's obviously the quarterback right now. Um, do they? Do you think that they view him as anything more of a, a, than a, a temporary caretaker for the position, um, or do they, is this a, a kind of thing that, where you can do kind of what the Rams did and put together a team around him where it's you know decent enough to get you to at least to the Super Bowl? I think that they've learned. I think Brad Holmes learned enough from from his time in LA to know that you can't do that. Yeah. you can't you can't <laughs> rely. Specifically on Jared Goff. I mean, but you can't you yeah, can't yeah. rely on a quarterback who doesn't elevate the guys around him. You need somebody who can do that. Um, like you mentioned, Goff's a bottom third quarterback, and he's probably at the the mid to top of that bottom third. Um, which is, I mean, like you said, it's fine. I mean, you can get by with a guy like that. It's tough when you're rebuilding because you really want to see development in the guys that you have, and sometimes a lower tier quarterback can make that difficult because they're not giving as many opportunities. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm hope, very hopeful that they they're planning ahead. Yeah. Um, and, and I guess the big question with golf and, um, the one thing I do kind of question about their roster building is, uh, do you think he may be a little too good for their own good? And this is supposed to be a good quarterback class. This, I mean, last year was kind of atrocious. Um, a lot of people are very high on a lot of the prospects in this one. Are they going to be a little too good to actually get one of the top quarterbacks in this class? I don't think they're going to be in range with their first pick to get one of the top quarterbacks in this yeah. class. And by, by one of the top quarterbacks, I mean, one of the top three, top three. expecting, yeah. expecting that we're going to have one and two be quarterbacks and the third quarterback will go in the top 10. Um, I don't think they're going to be in that range. I think they're going to be outside of the top 10, not much further outside of the top yep. 10, but outside of it. Uh, the good news is though, they've shown that they're aggressive with their trade philosophy and they have the resources to be able to move up if they need to. So if they end up needing to move up, they will. Um, not a bad place to be. Also, I think you might actually be able to get a pretty good quarterback outside of the top 10 this year. Um, usually when there's those deep classes, there are usually one or two guys outside who end up being pretty good in the grand scheme of things. So uh, I have a, I have a very dour philosophy about quarterbacks outside of the top 15. So it's a, uh, it's a, the drop off is very sudden and <laughs> steep. It, it 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 often often is. I, I I'll say this. I, I I do think that there are somewhat routinely um, gems outside of the top fifteen. However, I think that no team has any ability to pick out who they are. Like uh, if everybody could pick out I, Dak Prescott, I disagree. Yeah, because because the teams that have are the Packers picking Aaron Rodgers and the Ravens twice, and that's the whole list. That's okay. <laughs> well, the Cowboys did. 
Well, Tony Romo was undrafted. Well, Dak, Dak Prescott that's is cheating. Dak Prescott oh, yeah, is a Dak, Dak Prescott's a fourth rounder. That's that's a yeah. little bit different. You're right. And I mean, it, going back a little further, Russell Wilson was a third rounder. So also the only third rounder. The he, literally, literally the only third rounder. But. The only third rounder that's a success story is Russell Wilson. <laughs> um, I, there there is uh one more. The the only other deep one I would throw in there is actually Kirk Cousins, who is a fourth rounder and also you know not great but pretty good. I don't count them. <laughs> it's, it's, it's similar to golf. It's it's just like, yeah, I mean, he, he's there. He'll get you. He'll get you decent numbers, but he's he's not a guy you build around. Also, too true. Okay. Well, outside a quarterback, um, I, up and down the roster, I think that the Lions, especially in offense, look pretty good. Um, that I think they. First of all, do you think that their offensive line is better than the Packers now? Um, any way you want to define that with David Bakhtiari being around or not? So it's it's one of those things where I'm never super high on the Lions. There's there's always talk about them being top ten in this, top ten in that. They're this player is going to get X amount of yards or whatever. There's always that talk every year, and I'm always much more cautious. This is the only time where I think they really might be. Like their offensive line is built so well, yep. and the only really concern is durability with Frank Ragnow, but. They had a guy last year come in. Their their depth for Ragnow was so good that their offensive line was still one of the better offensive lines in the NFL, even with a player of his caliber sitting on the bench. So it's it's kind of crazy that we're in a situation, the Detroit Lions finally having a good enough <laughs> offensive line where we can confidently say they're either the best in the division or it's a close second. Yeah, yep, completely agree. I actually do think they're the best. I, I think... Um, there are too many questions around Bakhtiari and Green Bay, um, and it, the rest of it's just going to depend on a lot of young players and rookies. Uh, it's not like Josh Myers, he, he was good at center last year when he played, but he wasn't knocked the doors off you. And Elton Jenkins is still hurt too, so um, I think I would actually take the Lions at this point too. Decker and Saul look really good, and uh, it's strong. So um, on the, the skill positions, I also think they've done a good job there. Uh, so uh, obviously they, they caught something special with Amonara St. Brown last year. Um, who we Packer fans all know is Equiminius's better brother. Um, and uh, they've gone to supplement this season with, first of all, getting DJ Chark, um, which I, I wanted him so bad. Uh, <laughs> I, I love great athletes who are coming away from Jacksonville. Uh, it just seems like a good place to go. Um, I, I also, I've heard he's been good in camp. Um, what, what do you think of that signing? Yeah, Chark is a really good player when he's healthy. The concern is just how much you're going to get out of him. And, and that's really all it comes down to. The, as long as he's on the field, I have no doubt about his ability. Yep, that sounds about right. Actually, I think he's one of uh, Christian Watson's closer comps if memory serves. So, um, And then um, Jamison Williams was one of the, uh, I would say, big six receivers in the last draft as well. Um, I, th- I would say he was the most productive on the field, but um, he's coming off an injury, so we don't have testing for him. Um, right. uh, uh, um, I, I know we haven't seen him yet, but uh, any opinion on, on that pick? And, yeah, he, and and he would have tested very well. Yeah, like we, I don't think there's, there's, there's no concern. That. I don't think there's any concern about how well he would have tested. Um, it, the, there's a very risky type of a player type that they picked up with Jameson Williams. Guys that that don't have a lot of bulk to them. They're speedsters. They're expected to be that deep threat. And there's a lot of other things that he can do, but that's not the best way to utilize him. And there's it's the hit rate is so low for this type of player, almost almost entirely due to durability. And he's coming in injured, so yeah. we're starting from a, a fairly negative position with a very very high ceiling type of player. And I'm extremely cautious. I'm notoriously conservative when it comes to injuries. 
Um, so I'm, I'm always cautious about that type of stuff. Um, on field, when he's healthy, it is not a concern that he can do a lot of damage on the field. I think he's going to be very limited with Jared Goff throwing to him, but I don't expect him to play a whole lot in 2023 anyway. So, uh, Indeed. Uh, kind of a bummer there, but um, I don't know, hard to argue with any of that. Um, injury-prone guys tend to be injury-prone, and injured guys are even worse. So, um, so last offensive question is, um, I, I, I was very high on TJ Hawkinson coming out. Uh, I, t- tight ends typically are one of the lowest value guys right away, but they do tend to come along over time. Um, and he's had a couple of good games, good-ish at least against Green Bay. Um, do you think he he kind of is what he's been so far, or do you think he maybe gets a little bit better with some better supporting cast around him? I think he kind of is who he is, and that's not bad. Like, that's not a bad thing. Yeah. The the tiers at tight end in the NFL, there's, there's a pretty steep drop-off from Tier 1 to Tier 2. But the tier two tight ends are very, very good. And there's no, there's no shame in being in that group. Yeah. It's just the tier one guys are so insanely good that it's it's just complete game breakers. Right. Um, I don't think Hawkinson's that type of guy, but he's a very good tight end. He'll probably be a top 10 tight end for most of his career if he stays healthy and it's going to be the six to 10, right? It's just not going to be the one to five. And that's fine. That's totally fine. That's, that's a very important part of an offense. Indeed. And I mean, it just, they're, they do have the potential to be a good, well-rounded offense of patch of pass catchers kind of no matter what. So, all right, let's, let's move to the defense uh, real quick because r- running a little on the long side. Uh, first of all, any doubts at all about Aiden Hutchinson, the, <laughs> the super great Michigan, um, super high pick. Nope, not at all. all right. I, I don't have any doubts about it at all. Uh, that was an easy answer. <laughs> I, I suppose it was. Um, uh, generally, like uh, just with adding him, I, I, I mean, there's obviously been more additions to the team than just him. Um, how big of an impact do you think he makes? The Lions were quite bad on defense last year by any metric you want to use. They were, you know, the bottoms, bottom part of DVOA. Um, just adding in uh, a rock solid, um, uh, you know, de- r- rusher like Hutchinson. Do you think that they improved drastically just based on on that? Yeah, because he's an every snap player. Yeah. Like they, they've had guys that who are who are okay as as pass rushers, or even good as pass rushers in packages, but they haven't had a guy who's just good every single play. And that's what Hutchinson is going to bring to them. They had Romeo Aquara, they have Charles Harris. Both of those guys are very good yeah. in certain packages, but neither of them are good all the time every play. Getting a guy like Hutchinson who can be disruptive every play is a difference maker for the defense. Yep. The only really secondary member I I know well as Jeff Okuda um, from his college days as well and seemed quite good last year Um, who else is worth watching in the secondary for this team it's a very young secondary and I noted that that, you know that's something the Packers have been dealing with the last couple of years so Mm -hmm. it's something you guys are at least familiar with so we've got a couple of guys Amani Oruarie was basically a Pro Bowl level player last year and then Tracy Walker who's been getting better every year um, as a safety um, besides that, there's a lot up in the air from the guys across from him. And Jeff Okuda is battling with a guy named Will Harris, who was a safety draft in the third round. He was atrocious his first couple of years, but he was doing really weird things with with Matt Patricia's okay. defense. <laughs> and the moment they took him and put him in and said, this is your one thing, you're going to do this one thing, he started to improve pretty quickly. And he, he moved to cornerback, and he's done pretty well at corner. So hopefully we'll see more of that. We had two undrafted free agents, Jerry Jacobs and A.J. Parker. Both of those guys were very good last year, um, and then they both got injured. So hopefully yeah. they can come back and, and be a little bit better. And then at safety, 
Um, we have Deshaun Elliott, who's brought in to be that that you know rock solid starter guy across from Tracy Walker. But they've got Ifatu Melifan, who they drafted in the third round last year, and Kirby Joseph, they drafted early this year, who are going to be contending for that other safety spot. And Lions use a lot of three safety packages, so yep. both those guys should get a lot of work. Indeed, Vikings too. Uh, a lot of three safety looks yeah. coming in this year. Um, uh, running a bit long, so I'm going to just move to the last <laughs> couple here. Uh, so it, it does. Podcasts always go longer than you think. Uh, so. Uh, which rookie and non-rookies are you the most excited about that are new to the team this year? Most of the rookies are injured. Brad yeah. Holmes has, has been very risky with the types of guys that he's taken with injuries. Uh, we had four guys that were coming in with either season-ending ending injuries or needed surgery um, out of their draft class. So Malcolm Rodriguez is a linebacker from Oklahoma State who was very, very undersized. Uh, but he's had a really good camp, and everyone has talked him up. Very excited to see him work out in a defense. It's the worst unit on our defense linebacker, so he's going to have some opportunities. Very excited for that. Non-rookies, we only really have charts, so it's kind of by default. <laughs> I suppose yeah. so. It's interesting that there's so many injured ones. I, I do feel like there are high draft picks kind of all over the team, which makes sense for the Lions. Uh, um, but uh, I, I have not heard of Malcolm Rodriguez. I don't think I scouted him at all, so something to keep an eye on as uh, as camp goes on and preseason starts. That's, Raz Superstar. <laughs> I, lo- I do love a good Raz Superstar. I love when they pop up. It's uh, It's great. All right, and, and uh, last question. So, um, like the entire North, the the Lions have one of the easier schedules in the league, and uh, they're kind of up and coming. They have a good coach. Um, how do you think they'll be this year? Do you think that they are still an also ran? Are they fringe wild card contenders? Where do you think they wind up? So, like I said, Brad Holmes has gambled a lot with injuries. He did so last year, and he did so this year. Yeah. So they're they're planning for the long haul. Um, if they stay healthy, very big if, you know. Um, they've got a chance to push for a wildcard slot. They've got Jared Goff, and they don't have the type of roster the Rams have. They're not going to be a contender, even if they do make the playoffs, yeah. I don't think. Now, if they don't stay healthy, which is the much more likely conclusion, it could fall apart pretty quickly. There's a lot of guys on this team who are either already hurt or who have a long history of injuries. And having seen what happened last year, they they fell apart very quickly. They managed to still stay competitive mostly due to Aaron Glenn on defense. The Lions defense didn't rate very very well as far as statistical-wise, but that defense played at a level they should not have been able to with the talent they had on the mm-hmm. football field. Um, they had a converted safety undrafted free agent playing starting at cornerback at one point, and they were still, <laughs> they were still doing all right and, and managing to stay competitive in those games. So the coaching is really huge for this team. I, I think they'll probably double their win total and then add a game or two on top of that. I don't think they're going to be a contender. Yeah, I think that's probably about right. Uh, I have them as sort of a fringe wild card contender. I, I think that they'll play like above their talent again, and it's just a matter of where that talent level ends up lying for them that will determine things. So uh, I think that's that's dead on. So, uh, all right, well, uh Kent, thank you very much for joining me. Really appreciate the time. Um, And uh, know much more about the Lions than I did before. (laughs) (laughs) When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, man. Have a good one. Yeah, you too.
joining me now to help preview the Chicago Bears is Lauren Cox, uh, who does the Locked On Bears podcast on the Locked On Network, and uh, also formerly of uh, PFF as well, right? I still do some grading for them on the side here. Okay, cool. Not much as I used to. <laughs> Uh, also quite cool. Um, so um, the Bears, I, I was mentioning before, and are sort of my other favorite team to look at other than the Packers. Um, and, and not just because they're they're funsies from a Packers point of view, but because they're also genuinely interesting too. So um, they're coming off a, a bad season and a transitional one where I think sort of the uh, everything, everything hit the fan. Uh, Matt Nagy really showed who he was. Uh, the front office, uh, it was just a total change from what, what happened last year. So there's a lot of both potential and uncertainty going into this year. So um, uh, I've started out all of these with this general question. So how do you feel about the Bears right now? And how do you feel about what they may turn into going forward? Yeah, they're very much in the the first stage of like building the the the, the house, the structure, the foundation. Like, you know, they've, they've been pouring the concrete. And so it doesn't look or feel much like a house or anything yet. And so it's hard to like, if you, like you see the, the components coming together and you're like, okay, this is sort of like the beginning of a direction, but it's hard to like fully feel confident in exactly how the direction's going to go until you see the parts really actually come together. You just more like have all the materials <laughs> piled up next to the next to the foundation, but they haven't started putting like the frame together just yet or any kind of like interior of the house. So it's like yeah. you can feel like yes, a lot of this change and turnover was necessary. There was a lot that this previous regime did to set up this current regime now in a bad place to pick, you know, they've kind of had to clean up some salary cap mess and some contract situations where they kept pushing money up into the future a little bit too irresponsibly and maybe didn't <laughs> put all their players in the best position to be successful. So then you're not even fully sure what you have with some of the guys that are holdovers. Plus you want your guys in there. So it's like, they're, they're saying the right things and seem to be setting the right idea of a foundation, but they're also taking it very slowly. And I don't know that we're far enough to say like, yes, these are the guys, this is the direction <laughs> and we're doing well, but it's like, Okay, like they haven't lost me yet. You haven't lost me yet. Let's keep going. Let's see where this goes. No, I think I think that's totally fair. So um, we'll get to Matt Iberflus and the defense in a little while because he is a defensive coach. But I like to start on offense, and it's a good place to start for from our purposes because the new Bears offensive coordinator is Luke Getze, the um, Packers quarterback coach for the last several seasons, um, and it's sort of an odd. Packer history as a holdover uh, who worked under McCarthy for a while, um, went away for a while and came back. And I don't think we as Packer fans really have a good idea of what he brings to the table at all. So uh, we're early in camp, obviously, but uh, have you seen anything uh, to sort of indicate what kind of uh, coach he's going to be? And do you like him as a fit for having uh, Justin Fields in his second year of development? Yeah, so far, everything's been very encouraging about Luke Getze. It sounds like they really want to do as much of the Lafleur stuff as possible. Thank God it's not so much of the Mike <laughs> McCarthy stuff. I found the Packers close enough to remember those complaints. Yeah. Over but like, you know, practice has been a lot of like the Aaron Rodgers rollouts. There was even a, there was a clip that somebody recorded from practice, which is against the rules, where Fields did this play action and then turn and roll the other direction. And they mirrored it with an Aaron Rodgers clip from a game. And they did the exact same like play action motion to one side and then this quarter like weird turn around and roll to the opposite side so there's there's a very clear emphasis to do those types of things that we wanted to see them do with Justin Fields as a rookie that Matt Nagy and that regime just didn't consistently get around to doing they were so focused on trying to get the players to fit their scheme and less so get the scheme to fit the players so that's all encouraging from Luke Getzi as a direct contrast to the previous regime and then hopefully you know if the players that they've assembled can execute the scheme in that direction that there's a there's a good feeling like this is a better fit for fields and if they can get enough talent around him that they'll at least get a good sense of whether or not he can be the guy long term 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I don't want to spend too much time ripping on Matt Nagy, but I will forever, <laughs> I'll forever be confused about how a guy who comes from working directly under Andy Reid just has a complete inability to adjust to being given a mobile quarterback. I, and I know he didn't like overlap with Mahomes, uh, really. But first, his first year was Mahomes' rookie. Or his last year, yeah, he didn't yeah. play. So yeah. not, not much. But um, it's just it was bizarre to always see him trying to force fields into being like the most banal pocket passer to exist. So, um, And I will say this about Luke Getzey just last week. For the first time all offseason, I heard Justin Fields. He told Peter King that he thinks Luke Getzey is the best quarterback's coach he's ever had. Like he, he was like when they first hired Getzey, he was like, yeah, you know, he's worked with Rodgers and this is exciting or whatever. But like you could tell like from then to now, like there's a, there's a real buy in there from Fields that like, okay, this guy – this guy gets it. He knows what he's talking about. Yeah, uh, and that must be very encouraging to hear. What do you th- What do you think of Fields as a prospect? I-, I mean, last year obviously was quite bad, but it's hard to imagine having a worse situation for development than what the Bears were last year. So, um, are, are you guys still kind of high on him? Does, how much does that last season actually matter um, going forward? Yeah, I, I certainly don't think last season was any kind of referendum on what Fields is or can be. I mean, I, I do think it's said a lot more about. Nagy and, and Ryan Pace and the regime and, and what they had done around him then field himself. But there, there was obviously a lot of bad there and not, you can't just excuse that as, Oh, nothing to be worried about. <laughs> Everything will be totally fine. But the thing that stood out for me last season with him was that he seemed to make the difficult things look easy, you know, roll, you know, under pressure, yeah. rolling on the pocket, either getting past the line of scrimmage or finding a player open deep downfield. He had some really impressive deep balls in tight windows. It's like, wow, like that's, that's not easy for any quarterback, let alone a rookie to do, but he also made the easy things look too hard sometimes. And my feeling coming out of it was always like, I feel like it's easier to fix the easy things that look hard than it is to get a quarterback who can't do the hard things to do the hard things. So I, I was left coming away. Like, okay, you get a scheme around him that can make some of those easier throws easy and not have him be thinking so much or so focused on, okay, third step. And how am I going to get the ball here on time? Like there were easy passes. He should not have missed last season, but that feels more fixable than had it been some of the other way around stuff. So it was, it was, I guess a glimpse, but it really feels like this will be more like a true rookie season, but yet the clock's still ticking on. You need to know if this is your guy or not. Yeah, totally. Uh, And I agree with all of that. I actually think that there may be a bigger bump for him than a lot of people are projecting because, well, one of the problems with Fields in college, one of the few, is that he did take a lot of sacks. He was definitely a a hold on to the ball for a big play kind of quarterback. And uh, if you don't help him out and put him behind what the Bears had at offensive line last year, that just exacerbates one of his really only existing problems. Uh, And then he was a good deep passer. Um, he, I think, uh, by like SIS and PFF grading, he was one of the better deep ball passers. Uh, he was very good at throwing catchable balls, but not so great at throwing on target ball, like you know between the yes. numbers balls. So I feel I, I read something I think at F, at Football Outsiders where just on Darnell Mooney, he he was uh, very very good at running deep routes all year and doing a lot of damage over the top. But they had him run. Uh, more curl routes than anybody else on the team, which (laughs) it just seems to be like the absolute worst thing you could have him doing um, to make fields come along. So uh, I I think with good coaching, you might have something here. So that's at least something to to look forward to. But but on that note, um, how do you think the line is going to be this year? Because they've they've turned over quite a bit of it, but they haven't turned over with a lot of high-grade talent. Yeah, that's... That's the that's concern number one for me. Like everyone talks about the wide receivers because fantasy football culture, a hundred percent. But like when it comes to evaluating Justin Fields, I think the offensive line is going to be so much more important because at least I want to see if he can at least get the ball to the pass catcher. If the pass catcher can't catch it or whatever, 
we'll deal with that later. But I just want to see how well Fields can read the play and, and find the open person and let the res- everything that happens after the catch is out of Fields' hands. So, yeah, offensive line is critically important. And I was very, very concerned entering training camp. And then, uh, you know, at the, at the 11th hour, they signed Michael Schofield, the veteran from the Chargers, yep. and then Riley Reef from the Bengals and a longtime Detroit Lions. And, and all of a sudden, the blood pressure comes down a little bit more. Yeah. That was welcome relief because I was that you know that might add at least a, a full win to the number of wins <laughs> I would project. Just I mean, I'm, I'm sure the wins above replacement don't add up to that, but it feels that significant for this offensive line. I think with those veterans in there, I, I feel a lot better. I don't think they're going to be a top ten group by any means, but I thought they were going to be a bottom three group before those signings. And yep. now that's. You know, I, I don't know what range to put a middle of the pack offensive line and, and, you know, middle of the pack offensive line, you would think Fields should be able to get by with that. If he's worth his weight, then he can he can get by with a, with a middle of the pack offensive line. I think that uh, given their draft capital that they had to work with, I, I think this is not a bad way to go. They were so bad last year that uh, I, I know they ranked low, like bottom on almost everybody's rankings and were healthy, which is not a good combo to have. <laughs> uh, so, um, you know, if you can only spend your draft capital one way, and we'll get to that in a second. But if you've got to start replacing, it's not a bad way to do it is is wait for roster cuts to happen, get some veterans in there. And if you can get into that middle part of, you know, the pack in terms, even if you're not great, just have normal time. That's good. Uh, that's probably good enough for a big improvement. So agree with that. Um uh, on the receiving front, I know it does get all the attention, and uh, it's one. This is one of the things Packer fans are kind of uh, a little bit, little bit uh, jokey about because I do know that Equinemius is right now um, first on the depth chart at one position. Not sure he'll be there for very long, but he is, and uh, not not a big fan. We've seen a lot of Equinemius over our time, but uh, so Darnell Mooney, I think uh, we all agree, is pretty good. Uh, wh- how good is probably up for some debate, but he's at least a receiver everybody wants on their team. Um, uh, how do you see the rest of the core kind of filling out? Uh, and what do you think the ceiling is on on Mooney? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think Mooney can and may already be, you know, a number one wide receiver. Maybe maybe never a top five, maybe not even a top ten. But you know that that fifteen range seems like he that's where he could be because he's been able to win all over the field, but especially be good on those deeper big plays downfield. But as much as they, like you said, football outsiders had him running all these core routes over and over again, and it's not. It's not the best way to utilize him. He was still able to catch him and make some plays and be a thousand yard receiver last season, despite how bad everything else was on this Bears offense. So I think there's there's a high ceiling for him and, and Bear, the Bears are pretty confident in how that's going to go. From there, you know, there was a lot of hope for Byron Pringle to emerge as this true wide receiver too. You know, never really had full opportunities in Kansas City with Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey dominating so much of the target share there, and that. You know, and, and he's still was very high in a lot of those sort of like efficiency ratings for wide receivers and yards per hour run and all these different things because the other guys got so much attention. So it was like, oh, bring him to Chicago, bigger opportunity, less less sort of holding him down, and maybe the good scheme can help get that all together. He now has a quad injury and is week to week. They ah. think they think he'll be ready by week one. They're fairly confident that by week one he'll be good to go. But if he's missing three weeks of training camp. He's not going to be full speed Justin Fields on the same page, right? Fields and Mooney are like best friends now, like BFFs. They're going to they're going to have a great connection this season. But Pringle is going to be again playing from behind a little bit more, which leaves Equinemius St. Brown in there as a big option. Already knows the offense, knows the offensive coordinator, and has been standing out at training camp practice. I mean, he he's been a guy that Fields mentioned by name first before all the other receivers. Is like he's the guy that has really been impressing him and making plays and stepping up. So he'll be in that role. Uh, Bayless Jones Jr., their third round pick, who we might talk about in a little bit. Yep. He's probably going to be you know that 
slot number three receiver slash backfield guy, you know, a little bit of Debo Samuel, a little bit of Ty Montgomery type of role here. Not not nearly the Debo skill set just yet, but of they're going to use him in a lot of different ways. And then Nikhil Harry has a high ankle sprain that's going to keep him out maybe six weeks and probably won't make the 53-man roster. I don't think so. so. I just yeah. I, I have to interject here because otherwise I'll get yelled at for it. Uh, sure. He is the worst route runner I've ever seen. So uh, <laughs> I think you guys might be – may I actually have a bit of luck if he doesn't end up making the roster. They traded for him solely so they could evaluate to see, as opposed to waiting for the yep. Patriots to cut him. It was, let's get him here and see if he's any good before we decide whether or not he'd be somebody we'd want to bring in. But now, you know, it was a, it was a lottery ticket swing for the fences that probably probably wasn't going anywhere. Yeah. But other than those guys, it's it's a bunch of like kind of retreads. Dante Pettis, Tajay Sharp, David Moore have all been guys that have had a couple hundred yards before in seasons, and they're they're competing in there, and maybe one of them can be a wide receiver four or five, but yeah, it's not it's not great. There's going to be a lot more Cole Komet this season. I imagine they're going to try and get the running backs a bit more involved too. And yeah. they want they really do want to run the ball. I mean, they really want to emphasize that part of the game. But it's not always the great. It's not always the best option for Justin Fields there. Definitely true. Um, I, I do feel like the running game is really going to be dependent on the line as well. Um, if they do run the Packers style offense, that's a huge staple. They run a lot of uh, power and a lot of play action off of that. And uh, if you see an uptick on David Montgomery as a receiver, not that he was bad last year, actually not too shabby at all, <clears throat> but especially Khalil Herbert, I, I feel like uh, maybe a pretty good like PPR sleeper um, with the way the offense is likely to go here. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. And, and there's, there's this big debate in Chicago right now with David Montgomery entering his contract year. And it's like, well, Luke Getzi paid Aaron Jones and still had AJ Dillon. So like did. if Montgomery has a big season, <laughs> would they pay David Montgomery and still do the Khalil Herbert thing? We, we kind of feel like, it feels like the writing's on the wall that Herbert will take over next season, but yeah. if Montgomery is a big one, who knows? Ah, uh, yes. Um, I love Aaron Jones, but that that uh, that contract doesn't look great in retrospect. He, he's, <laughs> does Luke, does Luke Getzey think that though? That's what I wonder. Probably not. All right, he, he probably is. He's probably good with it. Um, all right. So, um, we are talking about the Bears. The Bears' bread and butter is usually on the defensive side. To the extent that the Bears are good at something, it's putting a good defense on the field, um, even when they're bad. Pretty much year in and year out, they're never. Never terrible. And they were good last year. Um, they were legitimately good. They finished 13th in DVOA. They finished um, good in points allowed in basically every defensive metric that you could have, especially given how, the situations their offense consistently put them in. So um, they hired a defensive-minded head coach, moving on from Matt Nagy to Matt Eberflus. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. I've never heard it said out loud. Um, I have to do that sometime. <laughs> and uh, uh They've also uh, spent most of their high draft capital on defensive players, on uh, safety and quarterback. Uh, so do you think that this might be sort of the anchor for this team? And they might be, uh, first of all, do you think that they'll kind of hover, take a step back? Defenses are volatile. So uh, what do you think they're going to do um, going forward here? It definitely will be the anchor of the team. But it is hard for me to sit here and say the team that traded away Khalil Mack for a second round pick is going to be like better. Right defense i mean plus you know you move on from akeem hicks and danny trevathan i mean they were an aging defense and those moves did need to happen especially trevathan was pretty bad last season and and akeem hicks just hasn't been able to stay healthy yeah and, and mac mac honestly too has has struggled with that so it was like some necessary evil type stuff there and they could still trade robert quinn by the trade deadline and, and shed even more of the sort of aging veteran expensive talent from their defense but the problem is if you shed Robert Quinn at some point, then you're you're really, really light on pass. Right? Yes, you are. So they, they've really loaded up on secondary players. They have good mm -hmm. ones coming back. They drafted a ton of them. Where do you think they're going to get pass rush? Is this going to be a lot of blitzing or is, is are there some people waiting in the wings that we don't know about? 
Yeah, so Matt Eberflus's defense has never been a blitz-heavy squad if they can ever help it. And so then it's like, I mean, when you take out Robert Quinn, no one on their team has ever had more than eight sacks in a season in their careers. <laughs> so then it's it's Travis Gibson, their fifth-round pick from a couple of years ago, that a lot to like about him, but it's never been the starter. He's always been rotating in with Mack and Quinn and Hicks, which helps when they're getting all the attention. So they're asking him to step up and try and be a double-digit sack guy this year. They brought over Al-Kadeen Muhammad from the Colts, who made his first year as a starter last season and had like six or seven sacks, which was good for him, but not you know, top pass right. rusher type stuff. And then they're, they're putting all their eggs in Justin Jones as the three technique interior pass rusher career best season in LA last season with the chargers was three sacks sacks are not the only way to measure pass rush. And they've got, I mean, those guys are all, have all been pretty good at getting pressures consistently, but you do need to finish on the quarterback and the bears. I mean, outside of Robert Quinn's 18 and a half, if you take away him from this team at some point, yeah, I, I you, you're going to have to blitz a little bit more. <laughs> it's just not something they really want to do if they can hope they can avoid it. Yeah. Uh, totally. Um, I think that's to the extent their defense might take a step back. That's probably where it comes from. I mean, blitzing always gives you the problem of having guys out of position, and it there, there's two things that are hard to to hide with scheme. One is not having a good pass rush from your front four, and one is having your cornerbacks uh, kind of deplete as you get down the roster a little bit. Packers have that problem more than any. Um, <laughs> But I don't think that'll be a problem. I, I think uh, in terms of DBs, they're very well set up. Um, so um, I actually did the preview at Acme Packing Company for the Packers DBs um, this year. Uh, and uh, at PFF, Timo Risky um, came with a new metric on how corners specifically are when they're defending route running. Um, mm. I, I picked that up on this because Razul Douglas was actually third overall in it for the Packers. But number one was Jalen Johnson. Um, and ever since then, I've kind of been going and looking at his tape. He didn't grade out that well at PFF. He was like medium, middle of the pack. I think he looks better than that. I'll be perfectly honest. So, um, how high are you on him? And what do you think of the rest of the secondary in terms of the youth they've added? Um, Eddie Jackson, maybe having a bit of a rebound from a, a couple of more middling years. Yeah. I'm really curious to see how this scheme changes things specifically for Eddie Jackson, but also for Jalen Johnson a bit, because it's, it's going to be a lot more simplified for all of them. I mean, it's, you know, very much cover two, cover four, keep an eyes on the quarterback. And then on third downs, a lot of man to man. And compared to the Sean Desai Vic Fangio defense that required their cornerbacks to do a lot of read and match coverages and like have to be thinking a lot on the field. The idea of what this is and, and same with Eddie Jackson, you know, in, in the slot sometimes too, but like it's compared to this where they can just sort of keep eyes on the quarterback and the ball and kind of just feel and, and, react and not have to think as much on the field. I, I would think that would help Eddie Jackson a bit more. And I wonder if with, with Jalen Johnson, though, if, if it takes, I don't know if it gives him more freedom to, to try and attack some of these players, or if it takes away one of his strengths of last season, like, like you said, I mean, covering the routes before the catch, he was great at, at reading the routes and making those pattern match decisions. So like, not that this, you know, neutralizes some of his ability, but it's just, I, I wonder how that fit adjustment will go to him. Yeah. I mean, he's necessarily what I consider like the off ball cover two type cornerback not that I'm concerned about him but I just I, I think it'll be an interesting adjustment it'll either give him that freedom to attack even more in freelance and maybe get more production on the ball he's never been a ball hawk type guy and yeah. I think that's part of where the the PFF grading comes out is that he just doesn't get his hands on a lot of passes and stuff after the catch some missed tackles in there too but really great the coverage before the before the catch so that should be fine but I think it'll also help the rookie Kyler Gordon really get up to speed quickly yeah. when the defense is not complicated. Same with the other safety, Jaquan Brisker. Like this secondary should be in a pretty good position to accelerate here. And and they they're right now they've been having Kyler Gordon play the slot 
almost exclusively. And they're bringing in like Kindle Vildor on the outside quite a bit, but they've had some injuries there. So we'll kind of see once training camp gets going. The secondary is still up in the air, but they're going to be the strength of this defense. And at least it shows some analytical value from the, the front office valuing coverage over pass rush, which seems to be where the, the numbers are taking us nowadays. Indeed, that is the uh, the trend of the day. And it, I mean, makes a lot of sense. I actually appreciate uh, PFF's work on that, maybe more than anything else, especially in explaining the rationale for it. It it, it reminds me of a lot, a lot of pitching in baseball, where when you uh, when you add a top line starter, you don't push down, push out the second starter, you push out the fifth starter. And I feel like that's kind of how the secondary works makes a lot of sense. So um, uh, also, Jaquan Brisker, I like that pick a lot. I was hoping he would fall. Uh, I knew he wouldn't, but I was hoping he would. (laughs) Uh, But alas. Um, So I I do think that's kind of the strength. Last thing on the defense, uh, worried about Roquan Smith at all um, showing up. You know, I I mean, I think that's that's tough because he doesn't have an agent. So there's this big wild card. He's of like, unpredictable. That's the thing with yes, him. Exactly. What what kind of advice is he getting? I mean, he's he's holding in, not holding out. So he's in at all the meetings and he's yep. working with trainers on the side at practice. So I'm not worried. Like if he doesn't take the field until week one, he'll be fine. He's not even playing the mic. He, they're having to play Will like Darius Leonard. Mm-hmm. So he's not making the calls on the field. So he can just kind of read and react and go to the football. And they have Nick Morrow playing the middle linebacker spot. So. If, if he was in the middle of having to run, run that whole zone and, and be the Brian Urlacher of this defense, I might be a little bit concerned because I'm, I'm not as high on Roquan Smith as, as everyone else is. I mean, he, <laughs> that's a big thing in, in Chicago that people get mad about. But, like, he's very, very good. He's just not all pro the way that everybody wants to make him all pro and pay. So that's I think that might be why there's some of this disagreement, too, is that he wants to get paid by a top linebacker. And the Bears maybe are saying, like, you're really, really good, but maybe not highest paid linebacker in the NFL good I mean we'll see how that shakes out but I, I think he'll end up playing eventually uh, that's actually probably a really good sign for the bear front office that that is a recognition they now have I feel like a couple of years ago they would have just forked over a lot for Roquan Smith and uh, that shows I think a good understanding of positional value so good good, good on and them for that this regime has no ties to any former player yep. I mean they they're, they're ready to trade Tevin Jenkins I think if field is bad this season they'll draft one top five if they have a top five pick and field is bad they're not going to hold on to them. They'll move on. Yep. Whatever they got. Good class for for it too. So um, yeah. it's a good class to be able to make that kind of uh, harsh evaluation should you need to. All right. Yeah. Uh, last one before we get out of here. Uh, last two, actually. So first of all, uh, which rookie and non-rookies uh, uh, additions to the team, new people on the team, are you most excited to see? We talked about him a little bit. I mean, we can't talk about all the rookies at this point, but yeah. Jaquan Brisker has been the, the star of the rookie class at training camp. Gordon's made some plays too, but like Brisker really seems like he's, he's bringing back. Yeah, I mean, like, we get a lot of like those Adrian Amos flashbacks with another Penn state kid in there really standing out well, but like he moves well, he can hit, he can tackle. He's got ball skills. Like the bears are pretty juiced about Jaquan Brisker, even more so than Kyler Gordon, despite taking Kyler Gordon first at this point. But I, I think he's going to be a great addition. I was really excited to see Byron Pringle as a non-rookie, but that that's, that's out of the mix there. So for me, it, it's Justin Jones. I want to see what he can do as a three technique. I, I think there's an opportunity that because his sack numbers are so low, He's a little bit underrated in this, but he's been very disruptive at training camp. Maybe that's a, just a bad reflection of the offensive line, but <laughs> they also have Mario Edwards behind him as a, as a rotational guy that I think can push him a little bit and give you some kind of interior rush. But let's see if Justin Jones could be their consolation prize for Larry Ogunjobi. Okay. People to keep an eye on. I, I, I will have to start doing that. All right. And very, very last one. So uh, Vegas has the Bears right about six and a half wins right now. Um, Outsiders actually likes them more than that. They had them up to 7.7, which... Um, it seems quite ambitious, although uh, it's a bad, it's an easy schedule for the North this year. So I could see, I could see everybody kind of exceeding a little bit. Where, where do you have them this year? Where do you think they'll end up? Yeah. When, when the schedule first came out, I, I had them in the five to seven win range. And 
like I said earlier, those two offensive linemen signed almost brought him up a whole one win for me. So like <laughs> seven, seven is the number I keep kind of coming back to now. I was I was sitting at six for a while. I would have I would have taken the under initially on, on the six and a half just because I thought five and six are both more likely than seven. It's just two out two versus one. But you know, the more the more they've kind of coalesced a little bit more, but now there's these injuries. So yeah. You know, six or seven wins, but by no means do I think this is going to be a playoff team. And that would be a, a real surprise to me. Yeah, and I, I would agree with that. And I think, honestly, it's probably in their best interest to be a little bit worse than that, too, in case they need a quarterback just to get another loaded draft class if they don't. So uh, I think, but I, I agree. I think they're in a pretty good space. And I, uh, so far, they seem to be a more intelligent team than they have been in the recent <laughs> past. If nothing else, that goes a long way towards getting things right. So. Uh, all right. Um, thank you again, Lauren, for joining me. Really appreciate it. Uh, and uh, I uh, feel like I have a much greater insight into the Bears now than I did before. So thanks for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me on. Anytime. You're Good night. Good night.